2: Greetings, Buff fans, from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See with at the Game podcast. Well, it's never easy being a Buff fan, but it continues to be rewarding as Colorado pulled out a double overtime win over Colorado State, 43-35. I am joined for this episode by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland and we will discuss the Buffs' late-night comeback and what the win means to the program going forward. We will give you our grades for the game, breaking down the Rocky Mountain Showdown into what was excellent, what was satisfactory, and what still needs improvement. We then turn our attention to Steve's trip to Eugene to face the 10th-ranked Oregon Ducks. Our tips discussion will do a deep dive into categories of talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics. So, a week after failing to hold a CSU freshman quarterback in check, how will CU fare against a Heisman Trophy candidate in Bo Nicks? Can Buff quarterback Shadur Sanders find a new security blanket now that all-everything Travis Hunter is out for the next several weeks? Can the CU defense which leads the nation in turnovers, continue to produce opportunities for the CU offense, giving the Buffs a chance to defeat yet another ranked three touchdown favorite on the road. Let's find out. Okay. And we are back. And I am joined by Brad. Glad I made it back before two a m Geiger how are you doing?
0: What do you mean before two a m It was two fifteen when I pulled in on Saturday night <laughs> <It> was a <laughs> i am I have recovered um most of the body aches have gone away, and my voice has reappeared, so we're ready to go for another game okay, and
2: from downtown Denver, Neil, it's not my fault that we didn't st- start doing better until the fourth quarter Lakeland.
1: <laughs> how are you doing today? <laughs> Well, I won't explain that remark any further, but uh, doing okay. Looking forward to another good Buffs game this weekend. Hopefully something a little more pleasing to the eye.
2: Okay, well, good luck with that. As our tradition holds, we're going to talk about the review of the previous game and then do our preview for the upcoming game. So our review is going to be of the Colorado State, the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Ultimately, a 43-35 double overtime victory for the Colorado Buffaloes over the Rams of Colorado State and Fort Collins. It was quite a, an event all the way around. Neil, before we start doing our review in the sense of what is excellent from the game what is satisfactory from the game and what needs improvement uh just your we'll start in the morning um it was a long saturday going from 7 a.m to twelve fifteen sunday morning but 7 a.m espn game day made a return to boulder for the first time in 27 years followed an hour later by fox big noon saturday making another appearance in boulder so the Epicenter of the college football world was, in fact, in Boulder, Colorado last Saturday. What were your uh,
1: impressions of the morning before the CSU game? I went up early. I got there a little before eight, walked around for a few minutes, and the electricity that was probably in the crowd on Saturday night was present there, both on Ferrand and especially on the business field. It was terrific to be there, um, seeing all these diehard Buff fans. Great atmosphere, historic moment. I probably will not get another chance to see one of those. So it was very, very pleasing for me to be there. And I thought it put a very good face forward for CU.
2: Okay. Well, we might get another chance as early as next week. The USC game is going to be another 10 a.m. kickoff. And we might have Fox – Big noon Saturday here for a third time. <laughs> Brad, uh, historic in the sense that uh, Colorado is making an impression in the coach prime era. That is all of two weeks old or nine months old, depending on how you want to count it. Leading up to the CSU game, it was fun going to go into a, a blackout game, was it not?
0: Oh, it was wonderful. And um, everybody was into it. Um, I didn't get up and... Till later, but the energy of the crowd, uh, starting at the Alumni Center, which is not a rowdy bunch, and working its way all the way down into the stadium was astonishing. Uh, the tailgate Franklin Field was as full as I've ever seen it. The students were completely energized, and uh, it was black, 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 with the occasional drop of green accent. <laughs>
2: Okay, well, Neil, overall impressions, uh, CU was a 23-and-a-half-point favorite, and with two minutes left to go, was an eight point uh, facing an eight-point deficit and a likely loss. That's some 30-odd points difference in uh, what was projected. So what went wrong that uh, Colorado was supposed to be a three-touchdown running-away favorite and had this fight and scratch just to get it to
1: overtime? I've been trying to answer that question myself, and I don't really have a great answer, so I'll go with what I have, which is it seems like the Buffs failed to set the tone for the game, even though they had a great opportunity on their first offensive possession. They had shut the Rams down, actually pushed them backward during the Rams' first possession, had great field position, and turned the ball over. Air seemed to go out of the bus there temporarily and CSU fought right back. So it was important to me for CU to get off to a fast start, see if they could intimidate CSU and get a get get them to lose a little bit of their emotional edge. And failing that the rest of the game was just a big battle. As always, we had certain skilled players that came through and were just played out of this out of this world as good as could be expected from anyone at any level. And the defense once again made a stop when it had to and allowed the Buffs one last possession. So all in all it was pleasing. It was a win, which is the only stat that matters.
2: Yeah, well Brad the forty three points looks pretty impressive until you think that it was twenty points fifty eight minutes into the game. And the Buffs put up 23 points in the last two minutes in both overtimes. Kind of a frustrating game, but as Neil points out, all that anybody thinks about three weeks from now, three years from now, is that it's a, a W in the in the win column for the University of Colorado. Six straight win over the now even hated more than before Rams of Colorado State.
0: Well, I mean, all of that is true. And as I was walking out, we talked about it in the end. The question will be, where were you when Shadur led the team 98 yards in two minutes to tie the game with a two-point conversion? And I think the fact that we were 20-point, three-point favorites probably will get lost in that discussion. CU got bullied. CSU came out with a deliberate plan to be more physical. A Legitimate argument could be made that they come out with with a plan that they would uh, be on the far side of physical. You don't get that many unsportsmanlike conduct and block below the knees uh, without a conscious, I'm not saying a conscious intent to hurt, without a conscious intent by CSU to try to be more physical. Many points, at least throughout much of the game, we had more, we had more yards by penalties by CSU than we did by actual offense. So it was a grinding game. It was a slow game. It was frustrating to watch with you know moments of sheer brilliance and enjoyment the things that we were concerned about the the lack of pressure from the defensive line the ability of the offensive line to particularly run block all of those came to the fore you know csu was prepared they had seen what we did the last two weeks and they knew how to do it they knew that they had to be because they were slower they had to be tougher and for a while they were and yeah again the, the unquestionably, the hit on Travis Hunter was very late when he was completely unprepared, and there's no excuse for that in college football, um, nor is there an excuse for Shador trying to then poke the guy's eyes out. But, um, it that I mean, it made a frustrating night, it made a challenging night. We happened to have seats in a suite, and I suspect I marched about 5,000 steps back and forth in a 40 foot suite. Um, that well, said, at, least they,
2: at least they fed us, so you had something to, you know, we had to work it off.
0: They, they did, and, they, and uh, so it was, uh, it was hard to watch in many ways, um, but exhilarating at times as well. And there are times when a team comes of age, and this team seems to keep, want to keep doing that. Uh, they did it in the fourth quarter against TCU. They did it in the third quarter against Nebraska. They did it in the last two minutes in overtime against a Colorado state. One hopes that they start trying that a little bit earlier at some point later in the season. (laughs) Okay. Well,
2: uh, Neil, we'll do our elementary school grades here. We're going to start with excellent. What uh, it's a W don't need to go much further than that, but what uh, stood out to you as being excellent on behalf of your buffs against Colorado state,
1: the wide receivers, quarterback play, and I'll give an excellent minus to the secondary, especially in light of the interception to end the game and doing their very best to cover up for missing their best player. Uh, they were great in that regard. Uh, in the overtime, excellent was our tight end. Excuse me, I a little stick for that is there's a new position seems on the CU death chart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Starting tight end.
2: I, I think uh, <laughs> there were I, several times over the course that? of the evening, Brad poked me and said, we have a tight end.
1: <laughs> I was like, I've i heard of such a position, but I didn't know it ever really existed, at least not in Boulder for the last 20 years. So what a delight to see the tight end used the way it was, very creatively, including, I'm not sure if it was a touchdown or the two-point conversion. The play design on that was excellent. And I have to give the coaches an excellent for answering at the bell at the most crucial times of the game with very good play calls. They get they get an E for that.
2: Okay. Brad, do you have anything to to add on that?
0: Well I will I will steal from Coach Prime the resilience. There are Again, there are times when you can give up. Um, every team faces that moment when they want to give up. And there was never any sign that that this team wanted to quit, didn't think they were going to win. Um, Shador Sanders looked as composed when he walked out for a two-minute drive as he did for the first drive of the game, perhaps more so. The defense, despite one of the other things I might have yelled to Stuart once or twice, is the underneath crossing route. Um, but the defense rallied when the time came, both at the end of regulation to get us the ball and in the second overtime to rally. So yeah, resilience, the fact that this team continues to reflect the coaching staff that says, okay, this isn't working. What do we do now? We're going to, this isn't working. What are we going to do now? Their confidence that something's going to work is impressive.
2: Yeah, well, and I pretty much gonna echo what you guys have already said. I had Michael Harrison. Not only did he have seven receptions for 76 yards, two touchdowns in the game time, two-point conversion, which, again, I have to admit that I didn't jump up and down on the touchdown to make it 28-26 because my, I was like, we don't have a two-point conversion play because earlier we would had a first and goal at the four and ended up picking a. 20-yard field goal, because three plays later, we gained two yards. Uh, so Michael Harrison, the other thing about Michael Harrison, seven receptions, all of them in the second half, which goes to what, Brad, you were just talking about. No Travis Hunter in the second half. Got to do something different. Voila, look at this. We have a tight end, and we exploited that. Um, and then the, the, the Sanders, I mean, Shador, everybody knows. And then, you know, specifically Shiloh who was named the Pac-12 defensive player of the week um, for his pick six, and he also forced a fumble inside the 10-yard line. So I think Sioux now has more Pac-12 players of the week in three games than they did in the last two years combined. And the defense in general, I gave it an excellent two. Through three games, Buffs have created 10 takeaways, which is just one shy of the 11 takeaways that CU had in 12 games last year. So Brad, will slide down to just the uh, satisfactory category. Anything that you want to say that was uh, okay about the Buffs or that wasn't excellent but uh, made the
0: grade? At times, the run defense was better. Um, there were certainly times that there were holes that were bigger than I would have thought, but they didn't break a big one. Um, I thought the linebacker play, was better. I'm still impressed with Marvin Ham, who has a tendency to get out of position once in a while, but then we'll make up for it with a big tackle. I thought, uh, with the exception of, of that crossing route, which I will continue to see in my nightmares for a while. Um, they didn't really, with the exception of one pass, beat us downfield. You know, if you can make teams have to move to beat you, you will beat a lot of teams. And, um, I mean, let's be the Colorado State probably is not going to be an offensive juggernaut, although they certainly have found their quarterback. But I thought the run defense and even the pass defense at times were quite were more than satisfactory. Okay, Neil,
2: anything in the the middle category for you? It was uh, rated as
1: satisfactory for
2: the CSU game.
1: Well, I'm going to go S minus on the run defense. They were very good on many downs but they got gashed several times and we can't have those because those gash plays were important for CSU's drives and got them into scoring position. We have to limit that. I was wondering about some of our blocking schemes on the offensive line because there were so many times that there were CSU line black, back, linebackers excuse me, that were untouched and made the tackle, uh, if not two of them at the same time being untouched. That has to be fixed. I'm not sure what that was. If it was communication, um, a good plan by CSU to keep our, our linemen on the line and not letting them get to the second level, but that needs to be fixed. And I think, but overall it was okay. I like the pass defense and I too was a little bit puzzled, um, with respect to the coaches, why we didn't make an adjustment. I'll get into that more lately, but. The coaching in terms of the game plan and in terms of when they blitzed and when they were able to make stops, I think they did an adequate job. Running backs didn't have a lot of room to run, but whatever room there was, uh, I think number three took good advantage of it and got the most out of it that was possible. So I give them definitely an S. It's not better because of the pass protection difficulties that we had. And that's a coaching thing, too, that maybe we want to talk about during the eye. But satisfactory, I thought, was the team's preparation emotionally. They seemed very, very uh, up and ready to go. But on the field for the first couple of series, they seemed a little flat to me. Maybe that's being too harsh or missing a boat completely. I think that's about it for the satisfactories. honestly. Okay.
2: Well, again, I'll just kind of chime in with kind of what you guys were saying. I had the defense in general. I mean, you look up and see that CSU scored 35 points, but then you start thinking about it. Well, seven of that was in overtime, so it was 28 in regulation. Seven of that was on the fumble by Travis Hunter. that was you know, scoop and score return for a touchdown. So the defense really gave up 21 points in regulation and contributed a pick six, the Shiloh Sanders interception. So that made it 21-7. to seven. So if the offense only came up with 15 points, which is, of course, you know what's the average last year in the Disaster's 2022 season, could have won the game just on that. So the defense, yeah, it wasn't great, but it was adequate. Uh, two names I wanted to mention, Hank Zelinkus who is the true freshman center, who had his first career start, Again, the offensive line is not the highlight for the University of Colorado right now. But Hank Zolnikus is stepping—you know—stepping as a true freshman. True freshmen aren't supposed to be playing offensive line. That's just a, an axiom of college football. Um, and he was only ranked as like the 21st best center in the recruiting class. So it's not like Zolnikus was—you uh, know—a specimen that was just destined to start as a freshman. But he came in and did a pretty good job. And Juwan Mitchell the brand new buff who came through various and sundry other schools, most recently Arizona state hit 15 tackles, led the team in tackles against Colorado state. So for somebody that's been on the team for a couple of weeks and getting, you know, just getting his feet wet, that was a pretty good effort for a defense that again was okay. Colorado state never scored 20 points in a single game last year. uh, And their 24 points against Washington state included a, kickoff return for touchdown. so we're the first team in at least two years to give them over 20 points in offense so neil we'll come back to you uh for the last category which is the needs improvement what does the, the buffs need to what do the buffs need to work on this week in order to prepare for oregon and do a better job than what they did against csu
1: well i want to set up my good friend brad on this one which is Coaching adjustments on defense, and I'll let Brad take it from there on that one. But the, as I mentioned before, it didn't seem like the Buffs were, in actuality, quite ready to play. I'm not sure why that is, but it needs to be addressed. The other thing it is was the maturity of the team, allowing CSU to get in its head with trash talk. That's, that's just not a feature of a good, mature team. Third thing that, in my view, is not, at this point, uh, satisfactory, which is the deterioration in the general conduct of the game by the team. At, at TCU, CU was a machine. Everything worked smoothly. The play calls got in on time. The personnel changes worked well. They ran their plays at a fast pace. They committed few penalties and even fewer Unforced errors. The last two games, they've had a little trouble being on the same page. They seemed less organized than they had been, less well schooled in terms of the game plan and where to be and what to do. There was a motion or the legal formation call—one of the two—where the ball was snapped before one of our receivers was in place. He was moving back and forth from the line to the backfield, didn't know where he was supposed to be, and. You can't have that stuff because it costs positive plays. And that is simply a mental thing, paying attention, being tuned in. That has to be fixed. If they don't organize themselves better, they are going to have a much tougher time with any team, let alone teams like Oregon and USC. Okay.
2: Yeah. Brad, I mean, it. you know, I complained to you you about this during the game how we run a big play and then we run our hurry up offense but it seems like always to our own detriment to Neil's point that and I remember the play he's talking about there was an inside a slot receiver he wasn't sure if he was supposed to be on the line or behind the line so he was dancing back and forth whether or not he was supposed to be covering up the tackle and the ball got snapped while he was still trying to decide where he's supposed to line up and that cost the Buffs on the play of course, CSU fans will, and their coach, complain about how many penalties they got. So CU uh, so had 10 penalties on the game, which is not the number you want to shoot for. So, Brad, anything specific that you want to put in the, the needs improvement category for, for CU going into going Pac-12 play for the last time?
0: And the thing that is going to kill us if we don't fix it is we're going to have a pass rush. I complimented the pass rush in the second half of TCU. Because it got better. I don't think we got a sack. Um, there were times against Nebraska that it was fine. As frustrated as I am the crossing routes, as you pointed out throughout the game, those crossing routes work because the quarterback standing there, sipping his coffee, surveying the field. You can't expect even a good defensive background, backfield to follow a guy across the field for five, six, seven seconds. There were moments of, of rush. But even when we tried the blitz, it didn't work out particularly well. Um, so that's got me very concerned. Um, it has to improve. Or guys like Bo Nix or Penix or what's that kid at SC? I think he's pretty good. Mister um, Yeah, Mr. Williams. Those guys, if you, if you give them the time of time we've been giving lesser quarterbacks, it could get not good. So that's the thing I'm most concerned about going in. That's the thing that I think needs the most improvement. Obviously, I'd like to see somewhat better play by the offensive line. What I, you know, uh, Shadur Sanders in the first half on the constant checkdown. Um, now that changed in the second half in the fourth quarter. But, you know, taking what is easy is not what this offense does to score points. That they adjusted to at halftime. I don't know what the defensive coaches were watching at halftime or that they just didn't have a solution. But um if they ran you know that successfully ran that crossing route for a third down conversion one more time, I was about to throw myself out of the suite. <laughs>
2: yeah, well the, the Buffs were down two quarterbacks, uh, Carter Stoutmeyer, the freshman who had been playing, did not play in this game. Cormonti McLean did play on special teams, so maybe he's getting to the point where he can be ready. And obviously Travis Hunter is going to be out for several weeks now with a lacerated liver. Needs improvement I had down, you know, the rushing attack. Neil, you mentioned number three, Dylan Edwards. Looked like a superstar in game one. Haven't really seen him since. Uh, The slow starts you guys both talked about. Cornerback play, again, you know, we're going to have to adjust with the quarterbacks. We're finally getting some depth questions as injuries start to come in and then i just put down the overtime call i don't know i mean i'm sure there's somebody keeps stats on this but somebody that wins the toss in overtime and elects to run the offense instead of taking defense first so that not only allowed csu to know what we were going to you know what they had to do on their first possession but then the second overtime they got to choose what they wanted to do, and they put CU offense back on the field again. And both times we were over on the CSU side of the field instead of the bowl, instead of in front of the students. So I don't know if that was just hubris on CU's part that we're going to score touchdowns and we don't really care what you do, but it seems to go against all conventional wisdom not to put your defense on the field if you win the uh, the toss for uh, for an overtime. So we have to move on. Because we have a big game coming up. It's going to be 1.30 Mountain Time game on ABC, another national broadcast. It's going to be just the prime network, I guess, is, you know, we're going to call it. If people aren't familiar with uh, the University of Colorado football, it's not because they aren't watching TV, because they're everywhere. And, of course, they're going to be, again, <laughs> the national, pro, national game on Fox for the uh, USC game, uh, another 10 a.m. kickoff next Saturday, but right now it's number nineteen Colorado at number ten, Oregon. The last trip to Austin, at least as a member of the Pac-Twelve. So Brad, you were talking about talented we you know we're getting carved up by a red shirt freshman quarterback from Colorado State with very little uh talent really comparable to work with. Now you're going up against a potential Heisman trophy candidate if the Oregon hype machine has anything to do with it? In Bo Nix, what stands out to you about the uh, the offense of Oregon? If we move on to our tips, our preview, talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics, what about the offensive talent at Oregon scares you the most?
0: Most of it. Uh, they are they are big and strong up front. They are deep at wide receiver. They have moderately talented running backs and behind them they have an extremely accomplished very talented quarterback Uh Bo nicks is everything you want in a pro quality cornerback. he is big as he is strong and he is fast um, and he is very experienced um, he had some not great moments against texas tech this week and then he had some really great moments or uh, it, it's this is This is a scary team, and it was going to be a scary team, and it was always going to be a scary team, and now people are expecting them to do well against us. Um, And there is every reason to believe that this offense is going to move, if not easily, readily against CU.
2: Yeah, Neil, um, Bo Nix is 893 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, completing over 75% of his passes. Well, Shadur Sanders has 1,251 yards passing, over 75% completion rate with 10 touchdowns and one pick. So at least on paper, Shadur Sanders doing pretty well. But, of course, Bo Nix with Oregon having two scrimmages, one against Portland State, one against Hawaii. Uh, Bo Nix wasn't playing the entire game. And you got a number of receivers. Tony Franklin, probably the star receiver, almost 200 yards receiving and three touchdowns, and Bucky Irving not only has over a dozen catches, he also leads the team in rushing with over 200 yards and three touchdowns carrying the ball. So anyway, the University of Colorado defense missing its best player, cornerback Travis Hunter, and perhaps other players, we don't really get injury reports anymore. That seems to be a, you know something from the past. Anything that uh, the Colorado defense can do to slow down the Oregon offense or are they going to score 40 points before halftime?
1: Well, I don't want to jump ahead to the statistics, but I'll just echo Brad that we are facing a team in Oregon that has talent at the skill positions and just looking through their roster on offense and defense in the trenches, they are quite large. Their offensive line is, depending upon who plays, is probably on average significantly larger than our defensive linemen. And on the defensive front, they can put large people down with their hands on the ground and have speedy linebackers. So I think the talent edge just about everywhere goes to Oregon, just about every position except quarterback. And I'm going to pick Sanders as – equal to or greater than uh, the talent in Bo Nicks. So some of our receivers might match up well against their receivers, but I think what's going to be the tail here is just the overwhelming advantage that Oregon has on its front lines. And I'm afraid I don't know of the scheme that we've seen so far that CU has to deal with a team that is fairly well-balanced between the run game and the pass game. Sorry to be so bleak, but uh, I'm not sure how else to analyze that. No. I'll be looking for an alibi. I just can't find it.
2: Yeah. Well, Brad, is there anything about the defense, anything that stands out that maybe we can get into a shooting match in this game and that Colorado will maybe not be able to – stop the Oregon offense with any great regularity, but maybe it can put some points on the boards themselves to keep it a game?
0: Oh, I think they are not they're not as talented on the defense. I think they are built for um I think they are probably built mostly for shootouts. Um, I think they're very good at that. Um, I think our receivers do match up if we can get Shadur some time or work on the rollout game. I think we can probably probably run some offense against them. They are good, but far from great. Although they're 15th in the country against uh passing offense. Um, they haven't played anybody. Everybody in the country is waiting to see how good Oregon is because Oregon hadn't played anybody, but they're still. So I, I do think there is a chance, a good chance for CU to score some points. If we play like the team we, that was in the fourth quarter. Yeah. You know, I think Oregon will come out. I think they will try to beat us up front um and i think that's probably if we can control that and i think there are ways that we can i do think that Shadur is going to have some openings okay
2: well neil the game plan would probably be to try and keep the ball out of the hands of the oregon offense and one way to do that is to run the ball and oregon is 70th in the nation in run defense but oh wait for it colorado doesn't have a rush offense so Mm -hmm. if you're game planning to go against the oregon defense which has a a pair of all Pac-12 performers, defensive lineman Brandon Dorless and defensive back Evan Williams. But Ducks, uh, Brad noted, they're not really noted for their defense. That's not their calling card. They just outscore people. Any uh, way you could see Colorado scoring against the Oregon defense?
1: Well, I, I would like to see, see you be able to run the ball. I, no, I'm not sure they're capable of doing that yet they haven't really demonstrated it against a team that is, or teams that are arguably less talented than Oregon. So I think it's going to make the Buffs fairly one-dimensional fairly soon. And it's up to our offensive staff to design some plays, some schemes, some sequences that will allow CU to run a, a mainly pass offense, pure air raid type offense, and move the ball. Aside from that, I I I just don't see much opportunity for Buffs offense. And I I hate to pick on any particular position group, but I fear that Oregon's size and speed up front and their front six or seven. It's very gonna, it's gonna be very hard to pass block those guys. So Nebraska set the blueprint for how to defend CU. Uh, Colorado State improved on it some. And I just don't know how our staff is going to adjust around the the defensive schemes that we've faced the last two weeks. They've got to come up with something and it's in their hands because I think as Brad said, if Shadour gets some time, we have the receivers that can get open and catch the ball and get yards after the catch. But I'm worried that we're going to have the opportunity to get the ball off. So,
2: okay, well, I'm gonna stick with you for the eye of the tips being intangibles. Anything um, that stands out to you as a potential intangible for this game that might have uh, some say in deciding the outcome?
1: Well, um, we may have and may be able to adequately play the underdog here and use our underdog motivation that we used against TCU that seem to get the team off on the right foot right away. I think that often teams, when they lose one of their best players, the remaining players um, compensate and play pretty well, maybe play above their heads for a game. Uh, that's one factor. Other than that, uh, I think the main intangible that CU has going for it is simply it's refusal to lose it's hard headedness it's spirit it's dedication to one another that knits them together as a good team and they seem to come through and show their best side when things are at their worst so I'm counting on the buffs to keep it close into the fourth quarter just using that and by close I mean 10 points or less that may be a bit optimistic but I think the Buffs' heart and courage is going to be their best asset in this game.
2: Okay. Well, Brad, uh, any chance that Coach Prime plays the disrespect card for the fourth consecutive week and brings out the Dan Lanning comments from media day about, you know, I don't remember them winning anything or with all the firestorm that went back and forth with Colorado State is maybe that – Maybe that's a little too old to uh, to play that card at this point. Is it just going to be resiliency, or the as Neil suggested, the win one for Travis type of thing? Or how do you what do you see as playing a, an emotional role in Austin Stadium on Saturday afternoon?
0: Oh, I think it's more likely that he'll play the you know win one for Travis um, kind of thing. Um, it you know it helps when you're doing that when Travis was out on a clearly deliberately dirty hit. Um, that it, if you want to play a little bit of the victim, that helps. Certainly. I think it's going to be the resilience thing. I don't think the the comments of Dan Lanning are going to play a whole lot of role in it. I think that's probably played out. And, you know, Dion's always got a new shtick, and he does it well. And he understands this team and what motivates them. And he may not have had them ready at the first half of last week, but he sure had them ready when they needed to play to win. So I think it's going to be, you know, we got to go on the road. We're playing a better team. We're the underdogs, and you have to step up, and you have to step up without your best player. That said, I think there are some intangibles on the side of Oregon. We're always going to see who's going to have a target on its back, um, and Oregon knows that people are not taking them as seriously as they might because they haven't beaten anybody. So their desire to go 3-0 and um, and to beat – the team that has been the center of the football universe is going to be pretty high and they're playing at home so i think the intangibles sadly in this case may work in favor of oregon
2: yeah well it's interesting that you know they're the top 10 team in the country now with the latest mm-hmm. ap poll you know this is their first game that anybody's going to really get a chance to watch so yeah you think that they would be pretty pumped up to be the you know that's what TCU wanted to do is put CU in its place and what Nebraska wanted to do is put CU in its place and certainly CSU wanted to put CU, CU in its place and none of them were able to accomplish it so whoever gets to do it you know whoever does it first is going to have some uh, some crowing to do especially since it's the last go-round for the Pac-12 there's not going to be a second shot at this so Brad we're going to go back to you for P for preparation Oregon has played, as we've been talking about, two basically scrimmages and one road game in Lubbock that they almost lost. Colorado has played three different types of games. And as you've been talking about, resiliency came through and got them through. Is, is there anything about the preparation? I mean, see, it's a one thirty game, 12.30 Pacific time, so there's really nothing specific about the kickoff, I think, that would factor into this. But is there anything... In terms of the preparation for this game that you think might um, give an advantage to either team?
0: You know, these two teams, uh, we have good film on them, particularly from the Texas tech game and they have good film on us. Um, and it's quite clear that watching film on us has an impact. I, you know, Whatever else I think of the Colorado state coaching staff, they were ready for that game and they had their team ready. So nothing here is going to be a big surprise. We're going to have to see what Sean Lewis can do to make, changes we're gonna definitely need to see what the defense can do to pick up the pace um so i don't think anybody's got a preparation edge on this yeah it was probably easier for oregon having you know hawaii on the schedule than us having colorado state on the schedule although it wasn't supposed to be so i think it's about equal here except for the fact that you know that oregon state uh oregon staff's been there for a while they've been there and done this Um, We're still watching what the CU staff can do as the season goes on. So that may be a slight advantage, but I think these teams are both going to be, have it strapped on and ready to go come one thirty on Saturday.
2: Okay. Neil, anything about the schedule? I mean, Colorado, of course, has to play USC next week and Oregon plays Stanford, which just got beat by, Uh, Troy Taylor's former team, Sacramento State, so they're probably not exactly looking past Colorado at this point to their rivalry game against Stanford. Anything in the, the scheduling
1: or the preparation for this game that stood out to you? Well, it's a short week for Colorado in the sense that it has to travel on Friday. Preparation, I think CU, if they're holding anything back, and I think and hope that they are in terms of Formations, schemes, plays, and that sort of thing needs to let it hang out, like CSU was doing on Saturday night. If there's a time to sell out and throw the whole playbook at them, this is the game. So in terms of preparation, CU needs to, uh, I think, sharpen itself, uh, as I spoke of earlier, in terms of its execution and game management especially in a very loud place like Autzen, uh, one of the loudest stadiums in the country. But in terms of prep, there's also an emotional side, and this is partially an intangible, but CU has been on emotional high for its TCU game. Then it comes back to Boulder and faces its biggest rival. And then it has to come back from that emotional high and get elevated emotion and concentration again for CSU, perhaps a team they didn't take as seriously as they needed to. They need to find something. They need to reach down and find some emotion yet again to get them prepared. And if they can do that, uh, I think they'll give a good account of themselves. So the coaches need to pay a lot of attention to the emotional health and uh, level of dedication of the team this week. The other thing is, and this is – Something that was frustrating me was, can we make some sort of correction in how we defense the drag pattern Cross? Because CSU was just running that again and again and again. They didn't make an in-game adjustment. They need to do something. They need to prepare something because I'll bet you a dollar we're going to see that from Oregon. Um, I'll bet you a dollar that Travis Hunter was in charge of
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. uh You lose your best cornerback, you can't guard one-on-one across the field and have that work. So, yes, so you have to do something different. And maybe Carter Stoutmeyer, who missed the game, who has started at cornerback. There's are, there are a whole lot of cornerbacks on the list. So, Cormani McLean might make his debut as a freshman. But then, again, you know, the last time CU won in Austin was 2016, Stephen Montez. Made his starting debut and only became the first quarterback in CU history to throw for 300 yards and rush for 100 yards in the same game. And CU won its only game against Oregon as a member of the Pac 12. So maybe throwing some freshmen in there isn't an altogether bad thing. But uh, yeah, I think that kind of stuck out to me, and maybe this is just my conspiracy theory about how, you know, we know the SEC plots its schedules to help prop up its better teams and get them, you know, the best position possible to make a run for the college football playoff. And they're trying, the Pac-12 and its scheduling is trying to help Oregon make a run for the college football playoff. I mean, they have have an easy or had an easy non-conference schedule. Who do they open with? Colorado at home, which was picked 12th or 11th by the Pac-12 media. And then on the road against Stanford, which was picked 12th. And then they have a bye week before they play Washington. So, you know, somebody was looking out for Oregon. Meanwhile, Colorado gets to play Oregon and USC to start back well play. So, yeah, you know, conspiracy theory aside, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a tough game. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a cup, tough couple of games here for the University of Colorado. So, Neil, you love stats. The last part of TIPS is S for stats. Any stats that stood out to you? think that will be a deciding factor in this game after three games of compiling stats. We're starting to get some trends in here. What uh, what stands out to you?
1: Well, a general stat is size differential. Size does matter, and I don't want to be obsessed with it, but in the trenches, it matters. Oregon, just looking at the NCAA stat page here, They are fourth in total offense, 17th in rushing at 218 or 216 yards a game, and fifth in passing at 363. That seems to match up pretty well with what CU's defense has allowed. So that the statistics do favor Oregon. However, CU has the best passer in the country, uh, second best passer in the country on an individual basis. Uh, its receivers are still among the leaders. So the strength that CU brings to this is their passing game. And if they can devise a scheme to get guys open, uh, which I'm confident that they're able to do, CU is going to probably put it, be able to put up some points. The problem is I think that uh, statistically, we just can't match up with what Oregon has achieved even though it's been against patty cake teams
2: uh, <laughs> we'll get some red Raiders to come in and give you a call and decide whether that they were they're a patty cake team we gotta face them as a member of the Big 12 so we'll we'll see how that goes Brad any any numbers that you want to relay to the buff nation that uh, you think will have a deciding factor Saturday at Austin?
0: In turnover margin c u and Oregon are tied for fourth in the country, and it is a cliche to say that turnovers will decide the game, but the reality is as a some as a less talented team as a less experienced team c u needs some break and um if we can change that turnover margin, you know we saw what Shiloh Sanders did if we can make force turnovers, which I think is possible. Bo Nix, I love his talent and he doesn't have quite the arm Shador has, but he's got good vision that every once in a while on his, on the move, he will stare down a receiver. And if we can make that happen, if we can make that work, if we can find, uh, I kept waiting for somebody to jump one of those crossing pattern uh, passes, which they almost did a couple of times. I think, that the turnover margin and the fact that we've been pretty good in that area, that's an interesting stat to me. One of those, one of these two teams will jump ahead of the other. And if CU can do that, they may be able to stay in the game.
2: Okay. Yeah. That was the stat that jumped out to me as well, that CU was tied for first in the nation in turnovers with 10 and tied for third in interceptions with six. And those are numbers we don't see or haven't seen for the University of Colorado a long time. And one obscure number, Opponents are completing 63% of their passes against the Oregon defense, which ranks the Ducks 89th in the nation. Of course, Shadur's completing over 75% of his passes. So it's not the completing that the passes that are going to be problematical because Oregon defense apparently allows a strong completion percentage. It's just, you know, Colorado's going to take those five yard patterns and turn them into 50 yard plays like they did against Mm -hmm. TCU and occasionally against Nebraska um, and at the very end of the game against CSU, otherwise, not so good. So, leads us into predictions. Brad lets you start off. You know, the odds makers in Las Vegas have a either a funny sense of humor or a cruel sense of humor. The line opened at 20.5 points, which was exactly the same line that they had for the TCU game. <laughs> so there you go. There's a motivating factor. It's like, you know, we're just as much of an underdog, another three touchdown underdog, three and oh, nineteenth in the country, and a three touchdown underdog. So CU was beaten, again, as I guess mentioned Oregon once as a member of the Pac-12. Um uh, the last chance to beat him in Austin and as a member of the same conference. How do you see it playing out Saturday, and uh, what's your prediction for the how the play the game's going to be uh finished up around 5 o'clock on Saturday
0: afternoon? We are so much better c u is so much better than I thought they were when I picked this game at the beginning of the season. I have some hope that in there there are a reasonable number of w- universities where c u can play in this game and run with it. And I've already bet CU to cover. Um, Not that we're a betting program, but um, (laughs) I think I think Dion will have this team ready. I think some adjustments will be made, particularly on offense. I think that we need to hope that everything goes right, and our best bet is a TCU style game. But I am I think in the end. Uh, Oregon's going to lean on us all day. And I think at the end of the day, Bo Nix probably has enough or more than enough to score. Um, this feels to me like a 45 35 Oregon game.
2: Okay. Neil, Brad's got to see you covering the three touchdown spread. Probably going to be a lot of points on the board. How do you see it playing out on Saturday?
1: Well,. The bookies um, last week at this time, or even last Friday, had Oregon as a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. That jumped to 20 uh, Sunday morning, largely on the result of the CSU game. I'm thinking that CU is going to be able to score somewhere in the neighborhood of 31 points. A couple field goals in there. And University of Oregon is going to have 42
2: Okay, so both of you have like about a ten-point game. When I was looking at this game, it seemed to me like I was hearkening back to what I was looking for the week of the TCU game, which is seems a little strange having been witness to what CU was able to do the last three weeks. Virtually no one predicted CU would be three and zero at this point. We're well predicted it to be two and one, but that was because we were hoping that Nebraska and Colorado State were going to be much worse than we were. <laughs> You know, not that CU was actually going to be a ranked team at that point, but I remember thinking that if we could hold TCU under forty and if we could score over twenty, then those would be the margins that would make it a respectable game. And I I don't I don't I don't see Colorado being able to hold Oregon out and score without Travis Hunter on offense as Schindler's safety blanket, you know, security blanket, when in doubt, third and 16, just throw it wherever Travis is and you'll get a first down type of confidence with the other receivers, even though obviously they've done very well. Um I think it's going to be a little bit worse than you guys. I don't think Colorado's going to get to that 20 mark. I think it'd be like 40 to 17 is what I have it that I actually think that Oregon's going to make the make the spread and be it be seen by more than 20.5 points and then we're just going to have to gather back up and get ready for usc which has about the same sort of stats that oregon does so we just have to keep remembering that nobody expected us to be three and oh and keep our expectations on a something something of an even keel and I'm just afraid that Dan Lanning, clever comments at media day, notwithstanding, if he gets a chance, this guy scored 81 points against Portland State. He didn't have to score 81 points, scored 55 points against Hawaii. He didn't have to score 55 points against Hawaii. If this guy gets a chance, things get out of hand. He's not going to take the, you know, the gas off. He's going to keep going to show the world that Oregon knows how to beat Colorado and beat them badly. So. Uh, Hope I'm wrong and hope the Buffs find a way to play without Travis and do a good job and make us all look silly by coming back with another upset like they did against TCU on the road in week one. And then, of course, we'll all be back next week, and we'll be talking about another breakfast game with uh, the Buffs taking on USC at 10 a.m. a week from Saturday. So until then, I'll have to let you guys go, and we will – Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, guys. Good night. Great day, guys.
2: Thank you, both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast so that you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See with the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all the episodes can be listened to at the Sea Game website. I'll be back next week with Neil and Brad, and we'll give you our review of the Oregon game and previewing the upcoming Fox national broadcast of the game against USC. Until then, be well, stay safe,
0: and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.